read the scriptures from Revelation chapter 2, from verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Verse 22, So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold on to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, and he will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so today we are looking at the fifth of the seven churches in Revelation. And of the seven letters written to the seven churches, this is the longest letter to the smallest city. So don't blame me if this is a very long sermon. I was in Thyatira a few years ago, five years ago. This is Thyatira. And it was, I don't know whether my duty or honor or misfortune to to give the first devotion. This was a trip organized for, for pastors, very cheap, highly discounted, um, so that the pastor would then market it to the flock, which I do not do because I don't want to be a tour guide. Anyway, so I took the first devotion and it really, there, there was nothing there. It's, it's just a very, very small uh, city. And today I... I'm tackling this topic of Tatera, and we will follow the format of the five A's that uh, we started off in Ephesus. And so it is approval, accusation, admonition, assurance, and, and appeal. Let me start with appeal. Don't fall asleep, even though this is going to be a very predictable sermon. You've already seen uh, the outline. And it is a very predictable sermon about an ugly church. Um, whom Jesus had some good things to say, but actually quite a lot of bad things to say about the church in Thyatira. But actually, there are two more A's for adoration, because sandwiched between the letter to the seven churches, it starts off in Revelation chapter 1 uh, about Jesus being worshipped and adored by the heavenly host, that he's the Son of God who judges with mercy, and mercy triumphs 
over judgment. So sandwiched between the letter to the seven churches is this heavenly picture of adoration and worship of the Lord, the Lord who, who shows mercy. So let's tackle the first A, approval. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're doing more than you did at first. So there was increasing fruit of the Spirit, love, faithfulness, perseverance, or, or patience. This is also mentioned as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Um, if you look at Second Peter chapter 1, it mentions sort of the same thing. So there is consistency in Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 5 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. And mark this verse, verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing more now than at first and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's got to be increasing. It's got to be more now than at first. You know, there is a, a, phenomenon, a phenomenon called the entropy. Those of you who study thermodynamics or science will know. And it means that left by itself, systems or things will just degenerate. They will decline into disorder. So just as it is with science, it is also with uh, spirit, the spirit and spiritual things. I came across this quote from A.W. Tozer, um, who wrote this, and he entitles this chapter, The Hunger of the Wilderness, in this book, The Root of the Righteous. Let me read that. It says, Every farmer knows the hunger of the wilderness. That hunger which no modern farm machinery, no improved agricultural method can ever quite destroy. No matter how well prepared the soil, how well kept the fences, how carefully painted the buildings, let the owner neglect it for a while, his prized and valued acres, and they will revert again to the wild and be swallowed up by the jungle or the wasteland. The bias of nature is towards the wilderness, never towards the fruitful field. So there is spiritual entropy. It works in the same way. If the fruit of the Spirit is not increasing, you leave it alone, it doesn't stay constant. It will decline into spiritual wilderness. So that is the job, the work of a Christian. We must be ever onward pressing to Christ-likeness, to having more the fruit of the Spirit. The second point of approval that the Lord Jesus gave to the church in Thyatira is in verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold on to Jezebel's teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose on you any other burden. We'll look at this uh, later. Let's jump on to, from approval to accusation. But the Lord Jesus criticized the church in Thyatira for tolerating Jezebel, a false prophetess, for refusing to repent. In what? In verse 20, for refusing to repent of promoting sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneo, from which we get the word pornography. For promoting idolatry in feasting of uh, food that were offered to idols. And for indulging in the so-called deep secrets of uh, Satan. 
Approval to accusation, now to admonition. In verse uh, 22, repent. Repent or there will be a bed of suffering or there will, you will suffer immensely. There will be tribulation. It will affect your children. And a bed of suffering, I believe, comes from a bed of, of sin. And I think there are very strong uh, suggestions that this would refer to sexually transmitted diseases which will affect our children, which will infect uh, our children. And then in verse 22, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Thyatira, you set an example. All the churches are watching you and you will see later what a terrible example the church of Thyatira has set. And then the Lord commanded the Thyatirans, you hold fast to my teachings, to sound teachings. And so there's a very interesting contrast between the church in Ephesus, which I preached two weeks ago, and the church in Thyatira. In Ephesus, that doctrine was sound, uh, but they lacked love. In Thyatira, their love was growing, but they tolerated false teachings and a false prophet and false doctrines. Just as in Acts chapter 15, you know, in that Jerusalem council where, where uh, James said, I will lay no other further burdens on you except that you abstain from meat sacrifice to idols, abstain from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves away from these things, you will do well. Consistency of Scripture from Acts to Revelation and even to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. It says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. God doesn't want to burden us. So you just keep these few simple things, and you will do well. My commandments are not burdensome. And now moving on from approval to accusation, admonition, and now assurance in verse 26, To him who overcomes, and does my will to the end, what will happen? I will give authority over the nations. This is also found in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. He will rule with an iron scepter. Psalm chapter 2, verse 9. And I will also give him the morning star. What is the morning star? Scripture interprets Scripture. So later on in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, the morning star is Jesus himself. I'm going to give you my all, myself, if you overcome. And this was a reward that when you, if you're a Thyatiran in the first century, it's like, it's mind-boggling because which is, who has authority over the nation? Who rules with an iron scepter? It's Rome. Rome is the only power on earth that has authority over all the nations and they rule with an iron rod. Thyatira, the smallest of the seven cities, will have this power that is greater than Rome you know, the Thyatira was just an, an industrial city. It's kind of like a miniature version of Toas or something. Uh, and it was mostly cottage industries. And we will have the power of Rome. And now an appeal. Second time I'm appealing. Okay, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So stay awake, even though this is very uh, predictable. So let's go to Jezebel. Who is Jezebel that the Lord Jesus is talking about 
in the church of Thyatira. Well, we need to go back to the Old Testament in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, particularly chapters, 1 Kings chapter 16 to 19. Tells the story of a princess of Sidon marrying King Ahab of Israel, the northern kingdom. And by all human wisdom, it was a very, very clever and strategic political move, this marriage between... Uh, but it was against God's command. The Israelites were an agricultural society, mostly poor farmers. But Sidon, the princes of Sidon, these were Phoenicians. They were sea traders. So they, they are sophisticated people trading all over the Mediterranean uh, at that time. And that union is, by human wisdom, very strategic, but against God's commandments. And, and there follows a very sordid story of idolatry. Queen Jezebel had 450 prophets of Baal, another 400 prophets of Asherah, and she became her husband, King Ahab's fixer. You know the story when King Ahab wanted a piece of land and wanted to buy it uh, that was next to his palace, and the man refused to sell it because he said, this land has been in my, my family for generations. And then the king sulked, but the queen came in and said, I will fix it. You just sit back and relax. And so she crafted a very devious scheme, made false accusations, and killed this man called Naboth. And then she said, That? I give you the land to King Ahab. King Ahab was the first man, first king to marry a heathen princess. Queen Jezebel was the first to persecute God's prophets. That's recorded in the Old Testament. And so her name has been stamped into history. The name Jezebel has become a byword for a woman who is crafty and malicious and revengeful and cruel. So I'm glad in PPH there are no Jezebels. And I really thought that no one in his right mind would name his daughter Jezebel. Or no woman in her right mind would name herself Jezebel. So I thought, just for the heck of it, I Google, not Google, Facebook, I searched Jezebel, Singapore. How many there are? Three. Jezebel Wong, Jezebel Lee, and Jezebel Chan. I just blow my mind. Why would you call yourself a Jezebel? And Jesus criticized the Thyatiran church for tolerating Jezebel. But did you know that I had a Jezebel live in my household for many years? Many years ago, I had a Filipino helper. So she came to us and she said, look at the paper, it says Jezebel. I said, uh, can I call you Jess or Jessie? Then she said, no, my mother called me Jezebel, you also should call me Jezebel. I said, yes, ma'am. But she's a very, very good helper, very good helper. Some Bible commentators have said that this Jezebel in the letter to, to Thyatira is, is unlikely to be a real name, and therefore it is a, it's a metaphor. But there are also other Bible scholars to suggest that maybe this Jezebel was the wife of the bishop of Thyatira, or the wife of a pastor, whatever. Thyatira's Jezebel was teaching some deep things of Satan. What are these deep things? It is to say that as Christians, it is acceptable to mix idolatry and sexual immorality with Christianity. 
And this is likely to be the doctrine of Gnosticism, where it says the body is bad, and so the body can be left to do anything it likes, even if it is immoral, because it's so bad anyway. And, and when you die, the body is gone. But the spirit is good, and the spirit is saved by grace. It's a kind of liberation. They call it libertinism. Therefore, you're free to do anything, because God is grace, right? God is love, and it'll be okay. So your body can do anything, because when you die, it's gone. The outstanding feature of Thyatira was in their trade guilds, as Dr. Winston Chin uh, mentioned last Sunday. Thyatira was the headquarters for many, many trade guilds. And several old and ancient books talks about these guilds. Uh, there is one, uh, William Ramsey, this was written in 1904. Let me read, during the Roman era, first century AD, Thyatira was famous for its dyeing facilities, you know, dye your clothes color, and was the center of the purple cloth trade. Among the ancient ruins of the city, inscriptions have been found relating to the guild of dyers in the city. Indeed, more guilds are known in Thyatira than any other contemporary city in the Roman province of Asia. And the inscriptions mention the following, wool workers, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave traders, bronze smith. So it was the HQ of uh, trade guilds. And then in another book published uh, in AD 8 by this guy, uh, Ovid, it talks about the same thing. So what are the, the features of the ancient trade guilds? I think there are three very important ones. Every one of these guilds has a patron god or goddess. And every one of these guilds will have a formal feast, meat sacrifice to idols, and they will feast within the temple of this god or goddess. And every one of these trade guilds, when they have these feasts, they will eat and drink, be merry, and then there will be sexual orgies. And so if you are a Christian craftsman or businessman in that first century, you really have a dilemma. Do you participate? Do you tolerate these religious ceremonies? And if you don't, you may well lose your job or you may well lose your business. The Bible mentions a lady by the name of Lydia who was a dealer in purple cloth. Purple cloth is very precious, meant for nobility and royalty. Acts chapter 16, verse 14 says, One of those listening to Paul was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This was found in Philippi. Paul was preaching in Philippi. I know this is only like one verse about this lady, Lydia, but it appears that she managed this dilemma very well. Paul met Lydia in Philippi. Philippi is 605 kilometers away from Thyatira. So you can speculate that perhaps she couldn't take it anymore, all the immorality and worship of uh, idolatry in Thyatira. And it could be that she moved from Thyatira to Philippi, and there she met uh, a Paul who was preaching there. She might have suffered financial losses by making that move. And that distance is like from here to Penang, okay, in the days of horses and, and walking. Could be that uh, 
She moved away from idolatry and immorality. Problem is, this tradition that is so perverted continues today. Oops. And in, in, in some churches, the Orthodox or, or Catholic churches, uh, there is a Saint Lydia after Acts chapter 16, and she is venerated. It says, Saint Lydia of Thyatira, pray for us. Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But we pray to this Saint Lydia for her to pray for us. Saint John, John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John and who wrote Revelation, there is this tradition or story that he was plunged into boiling oil, but miraculously suffered no harm. And therefore, he has now become the patron saint of the chandelier. Chandelier are the people who trade in wax and oil. Okay? A bit gross. And then, St. Bartholomew, he was the one who, who became a missionary, but he was flayed alive. That means they cut off the skin of his body while he was still alive. And who did he become the patron of? Tanners. People who deal with leather. So this is quite sick. It's quite sick. But it continues to, to today. So what happened to Thyatira? Okay, I found three documents. First one is published in 1974. It says, there has been no Christian community in Akhisa, which is the modern, uh, modern name for, for Thyatira, since 1922. Another document, this is published in 2005. In August 1922, as a result of the capture of the city by the Turkish Nationalist Army, an estimated 7,000 local Greeks were killed. Since then, there has been no Christian community in Akhisa, Thyatira. Another document uh, published in 2018, only two years ago, in June, there is no church in Hakisa and no known believers. So I couldn't take this for what it's worth, right? So I googled. Brethren Church in Thyatira, or Brethren Church in Akisa, found nothing. Anglican Church, Methodist Church, found nothing. And so what a sad ending. There is no Christian witness in this city of Akisa in Turkey now. And looks like Jezebel won because she was tolerated. And Jesus warned, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. What is this word tolerate? In the Greek is aphimi. Translate, of course, as tolerate, allow. You just give permission. You just leave it alone. Let it alone. In other words, whatever. Doesn't matter. Leave it alone. Whatever. What the Second Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 14 tell us? It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Unequally yoked means that there are that, that yoke where there are two uh, water buffaloes or two cows and you walk together. And unequally, maybe you put a donkey together with a cow, they walk at different speeds, they, they have different strength. Unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. You know that there are modern day equivalents of trade guilds in almost every profession. They need not be formal. But I can say that there can be perversions in almost every profession. Say you are the calefair um, in a movie, a Jack Neal movie, right? You're just some small-time actor. And the cast of that movie they always launch a movie with food sacrificed to idols. So would you be separate from them? Would you say, I'm a believer, I do not participate in this, I will not burn justice to the gods? Ah, but Jack Neal, small time, so it's okay. If Jack Neal sacks you, it's no big deal. But what if it were not Jack Neal, but another Jack? Jackie Chan! Wow, would you dare to say that to Jackie Chan? Say, eh, I'm not participating in this. Would you be separate from this? Do not be unequally yoked. You know, I think about my first job in the Air Force. I was in the Air Force for nine years. And it too had, there isn't a, a, a guild, uh, in, a trade guild in the Air Force, but it had guild-like characteristics. It's got its own rituals, it's got its own jargon, and, and where macho-ness, uh, aggressiveness, is actively promoted. Then I was in flying training, I was only a lieutenant, then the boss, a major, came to me, and he saw me holding uh, a Coke. He said, you, you want to be a fighter pilot? Why you drink Coke only? You must drink beer. I said, sorry, sir but I don't want to drink beer. Not that there's anything wrong with beer, okay? I think occasional sips are okay. But I say, I do not want to. And even in our Air Force, one day my boss, who later became a general, became a politician, we were just, we were just discussing. He said, you know, I noticed that Singapore pilots do not smoke. That's what he said. He said, but when I go to Israel, all the pilots smoke. It suggests that they are aggressive, they are on the edge they are sharp because they are stressed. And I think Singapore pilots, they are not stressed. Therefore, they don't smoke. It suggests that, yeah, you want to be that macho guy in the Air Force? You drink, you smoke. Your life, you live on the edge. You are sharp and therefore you can fight the enemy well. So what do you do? Do you just say, oh, yeah, just join the crowd, lah. what the heck, you know? And join the Air Force Guild. And it's all about career advancement. It's about promotion and rank. You just join, drink, smoke, and say, yeah, whatever. My second job, international business, traveling all over the world. My first business trip was to Paris, to the Paris Air Show. In the airport, Le Bourget Airport, where they have all the aeroplanes and flying displays and all that. Daytime in Le Bourget, nighttime in Pigalle. How many of you know where Pigalle is? Pigal is a red light district of Paris. Okay, all the businessmen go there. And uh, that's the first time I was exposed to ladies of the night 
driving in BMWs. It's not the customer who drive a BMW to pick up the ladies. It's the ladies who drive a BMW to pick up the guys. And there, of course, they have the shows, uh, Moulin Rouge, where half-naked ladies dance, dance the can-can, you know, they kick the legs and all that. And, and when you go and have dinner there, it's a dinner show, there is no Coke. There is only champagne. Okay, you only drink champagne. And so, to succeed in business, to be one of the guys, do you say, oh, yeah, whatever, just join? Which I did, I'm sorry to say. And those mental images of half-naked ladies stay with you a very long time. You know, it's, it's defiled. You have just defiled yourself. Third job, my longest-lasting job, 20 years and counting, is here <laughs> as pastor. And I heard a sermon some time ago that said that pastors are exposed to the dangers of vanity and insecurity. So maybe the, the pastor's trade guilt also has some of this stuff, you know? Vanity and insecurity. There is a guilt of success, which is to address our insecurity, and popularity, which is to address our vanity. Therefore, the first thing a pastor asks another pastor is, how big is your church? Is your church spirit-filled or not spirit-filled? You know, that kind of thing. And many years ago, an elder of a church came right into my office and asked me to join his church. He wants to employ me, which is larger than PPH. And he said, how much is PPH paying you? We will double it. So I told him, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, just kidding, I didn't say that. I was really shocked, stunned to silence. Stunned into silence. I can't. This is the way of the world. If he had come to me and said, I prayed and God gave me a prophecy that you will be the pastor of my church, then maybe I'll be. But he said, I double your pay. As though you can buy a pastor. Okay, we go into application. What do we learn from Thyatira? That we must be aware, beware of spiritual idolatry and sexual immorality. And they all begin insidiously. It all begins with so-called tolerance. It all begins with an attitude of, ah, whatever. What is the definition of insidious? It develops so gradually that it becomes well-established before it becomes apparent. It just grows and grows and grows, and then before you know it, it has consumed you. Insidious. What is an idol? An idol doesn't have to take physical form, I'm sure you know. It doesn't have to be a statue or stone or bronze. Someone defined it as an idol is loving more than God what ought to be loved less than God. Anything that you place above God is an idol. It could be a very, very good thing, but once you put it above God, it becomes an idol. Worldly success is good, but it can be an idol. Um, security, approval, relationships, our children, our spouse, wealth, food, nice things, careers, job, sex, phones, all this can become idols. And never more real than in Chinese New Year uh, period, I guess, where everybody is sizing everybody up on a material uh, a basis, right? 
We compare the size of our house, the number of our district, the brand of our car, what shoes we wear, what T-shirt we wear, what phones we hold, which elite school your children are going to, which elite university you, you or your children are going to. So everybody is sizing everybody up. John Calvin, the, an early reformer in the 16th century, said this, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. You discard one, you will simply create another one. Just constantly, constantly having idols that we place above God in our lives. You can't just discard it. I think Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, gives us a solution. You need to put it to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Coveting is simply a good desire that has gone perverted. And so we need to ask ourselves, what would glorify God? WWGG, right? Does this thing we desire glorify God or take the place of God? If it does not glorify God, put it to death. Put it to death. Crucify it. Secondly, sexual immorality. Fornication, if it is sex outside of marriage. Adultery, when it is sex with someone else other than your spouse that is within marriage. Or pornography, the last of the eye. Fornication, adultery, pornography. Again, it is very insidious. The story is told of a Sunday school teacher who had great difficulty teaching her kids about the Ten Commandments. She was okay from the first to the sixth commandment, but when she came to the seventh commandment, and these are very, very young kids, huh, by the way, what is the seventh commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. How do you teach this to the kids? And so she had a brainwave. She showed two pictures. First picture was a man milking a cow. What's this got to do with adultery? And the second picture was this, that you pour water to dilute the milk. Adulterating the milk. Adulterating the milk, right? You just dilute the milk with water. And this is adultery. Brilliant. Brilliant. An adulteration of God's perfect design for marriage. It's pure milk, but you go and add water to it and you dilute it. Spiritual adultery is the same. And it is also very insidious. Remember the definition? Developing so gradually as to be well established before it becomes apparent. So how adulterated is PPH spiritually? Have we diluted the faith and the message of God? I take you back three years to 2017. Remember, we had a whole life inventory where we took a survey. And it tells us that 10 to 33% of PPH men have fornicated. That means have had sex before marriage. 10 to 33%, depending on the age group. I think it could well have started with, say, you just go on holiday together, right? Before you got married, you just go on holiday together, exposing ourselves to those temptations. 17 to 34% of PPH women have fornicated, 
have had sex before marriage. Five to eight percent of our men have had adultery. Married, but we have sex with another woman. And thankfully, zero percent for women who have had adultery. 18% of PPH men have viewed pornography more than once a week, more than 52 times in a year. And among our youth and young adults, 44 to 70% have viewed pornography more than once a week. And so, brothers and sisters, spiritual idolatry, sexual immorality cannot be tolerated. You cannot even give one inch to it because it will come in and swallow you whole. And whatever you say about idolatry and immorality, don't say whatever. Don't say, yeah, whatever. I can hack it. I can overcome it. Got to put it to death. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Crucify it. Galatians 2, verse 20. It's the life I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. I think of uh, a good friend of mine who used to work in this company called San Miguel. San Miguel, right? No, actually it's Spanish, San Miguel. And his conscience was so disturbed that day after day I'm promoting drunkenness and more and more uh, consumption of, uh, of beer. And one day, he just quit, left his job, and joined another uh, company. I said, what? Salute, right? Conscience is hitting you, you just go. And recently, I just uh, am reading a book called Unplanned. It's the story of this lady called Abby Johnson. And Christian family joined an organization in America called Planned Parenthood. Sounds good, right? Planned Parenthood. And indeed, she joined with the purest of motives. She wants to, to help women in distress, <coughs> to teach them um, abstinence, to teach them uh, contraceptives, so that you do not become uh, pregnant uh, out of wedlock. After working eight years, uh, she became the director of a, a center, which does these kind of things, right? Uh, provide counseling and all that. But there is also one small bit in addition to this. And as you provide counselling in this room, you are also doing abortion in another room. And one day, she was called in to help in an abortion and she saw, this is what is uh, ultrasound-assisted abortion. And she saw what happened there, where they put in the probe and they sucked the baby out. And all her life, she thought that it was... Uh, Babies are non-viable between uh, uh, before 24 uh, weeks. So it's just a fetus. It's just bodily tissue. But when she saw the image of the probe being put in and the baby was shrinking away and really fighting itself to get out of the probe, and then it says, beam me up, Scotty. Right? The thing, the Star Wars thing, sucked the whole baby out. And that was the point where she, her, her, her conscience finally got to her and she quit the job got into lawsuits and all that. We're going to be showing this movie sometime in, in PPS soon. So once your conscience hit you, say, no, I'm not doing this, you turn away. Those are perhaps more extreme examples, but it all starts very small. It all starts with a little adulteration. 
a little thing. And so let's watch out for spiritual idolatry and sexual immorality. Think again about your time, your talents, and your treasures. What does the Bible say? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can I also say that where your time is spent, there your heart will be also? So how are you spending your time? What are you investing in? Something temporal or something eternal? And talking about time, I always talk about punctuality. Lah. Right? If you can be punctual for business meeting and you cannot be punctual for church, then your business is placed above God. It's so simple, right? The logic is so simple. I do not know how many of us are persistently late for business meetings. If you are, then, then okay, lah, lost cause. Lah. <laughs> But if you're consistently on time for business meetings and you're consistently late for church, it's an idol. It's an idol. So you think about your time, your talent, your treasures, right? So where your talents are used, there your heart will be also. And so do you like honour your boss, your earthly boss, more than you honour God? Do you honour your spouse more than you honour God? Do you honour your children more than you honour your heavenly Father? The same principle holds. For where your treasure is, for where your talent is, for where your time is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. The Thyatiran church is no more. No Christian witness in the city of Thyatira or modern-day Akisa. And it only started with a little spiritual adultery, a little adulteration, something that we tolerated just a little bit, and that Christian witness is no more. And so, God, we come to you with a heart of repentance. We want to turn away from anything that smells of idolatry, anything that places itself higher than our loving Heavenly Father in our lives where the application of our time, our talents, our treasures show where our heart is. And God is not there. Something else has taken that place. Forgive us, Lord. From this day forward, we want to apply all our being, time, talent, and treasures to something that is eternal and not temporal. Our priorities are clear. Nothing above God. Everything will be under the covering of a loving Heavenly Father. And especially when it comes to sexual immorality, God forgive us. 
we have been so adulterated. We take it too lightly, we just say, whatever. God, would you forgive us? Enable us to put to death sexual immorality. We confess, we bring it into the light, it is put to death. And I pray for courage among us all to deal with this and to come out clean, refreshed, sanctified. That the condemnation no longer is in our hearts. Instead, there will be the abundant life a clear conscience towards a loving Heavenly Father. Cleanse us, Lord. Enable us to move on in faith, putting behind what lies behind and pressing onwards, pressing onwards in faith that we have this high calling as salt to the earth, as light to the world, that we will become examples that people see we will not degenerate as the Thyatiran church degenerated and is no more. We will grow. There will be more now of what we do than before. The fruit of the Spirit will be increasing in us. This is our desire, Lord. A pure life, a holy life that will be an example for our colleagues, our friends, and our relatives. So God help us. By the power of your Spirit, just by our surrender to you, indwell us, Lord. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse us, sanctify us for your service. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.